and welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is episode 29, Home Office Insights from the Netherlands with Steve Longhorn and Elise Carr. This is the third and final episode in the theme that we had this quarter, which was well-being in the built environment, and follows on from the interview that we had with Dr. Whitney Gray and the interview, the recent interview that we had in the last episode with Stephanie Akoi Hughes, which was the Recovery Summit Special. So today is the 24th of June. It's a holiday here in Barcelona. It was the Fiesta of San Juan last night, which was a very noisy and probably the most noisy night of the year. And, and that contrasts with the very quiet of, of today. Uh, you know, we'll get this out uh, certainly before the 30th of June. It might take a couple of days extra to do some of the edits because this is the first time that we're actually piecing together for a while actually we did this in a couple of episodes at the very beginning of the podcast a couple of years ago but the first time in a while that we're knitting together two episodes which wasn't the intention you know we had Steve and Elise lined up for two separate episodes but then we had this opportunity of the recovery summit special with Stephanie and then I also felt that the the output of the interview and, and two very insightful interviews from Steve and Elise actually fitted together very well. So we've we've put these these two together. Um, the recovery summit was a lot of fun. I mean that was a, an interesting experience. Uh, having a session on Friday late Friday afternoon was was a challenge, right? So it's kind of you can't quite relax for the weekend. You've got that coming up. There was eight and a half thousand people registered for the summit. I'm still to get final numbers from the Speakers Associates team on final attendance at, at my session. But you know it was a lot of fun and just you know doing that from the comfort of my of my living room, which of course is is not being unusual the past few months on different programs with with clients. And, and a lot of people, but I think this was different because it was the first open session that I've done for a while and with, you know, friends and family joining in also, um, it was just a, a different experience. And also I, I noted this on a, a recent Instagram post, but the interesting thing with Vimeo Live that we used for uh, the session in the summit, which differs from Zoom and Google, which are the platforms I've been using for the past few months, is that when you share your screen, the green camera light goes off. So I had been talking in the first minute or two of, of sharing some slides and I noticed that the green camera light was off and I thought, my goodness, I've been cut off. I'm just speaking into the void here, right? And my phone was on silent because I didn't want to get disturbed. And I had no means of being 100% sure. I, mean, I thought I was okay, but I just also had this feeling and, and it grew the, the longer I, I talked that I was just speaking to no one. And it was a very kind of unnerving uh, experience, but I knew that I had to keep going just in case. Um, but it was fun. Susanna Streeter's BBC uh, World News anchor was great um, at introducing me and, and we had a couple of interesting questions at the end. So you could have caught that on replay up until uh, Tuesday uh, midnight, uh, British summer time uh, for free and, and then it goes behind a paywall. Uh, but I think in, even in terms of company expenses, right, the amount of fascinating sessions during that whole week and it is very minor amount that, that the Speakers Associates team are, are asking for for a, a lifetime pass for those sessions. So that's still there. Um, what else is going on? Just quickly, I mean, I did a, a, a podcast as a guest with the executive athletes and Ken Lubin, which should be out, I think, this Friday. Uh, the interesting thing on that one, I don't want to keep just giving you tech issues, but I didn't know it was a video podcast interview. You know, most of the things that I do is audio only. 
it was kind of pre-lockdown here and I looked a mess, but anyway, Ken's, Ken's putting that out on video, so that might be worth a laugh if nothing else, but it was a very interesting conversation. And, you know, the focus for me was bringing a lot of the kind of physical part and a lot of my sports background into, you know, the career that, that I've subsequently um, followed in my life, right? So I've always been very aware of and inspired of Ken's work at the Executive Athletes. Um, I also wrote an article for the EVE programme. So the EVE programme is uh, started with an uh, initiative from Danone and it looks at breaking the glass ceiling for women in business and uh, it's a very interesting initiative. They have a summit that they run uh, each year also and, and I wrote an article on asking the right questions which you can find online at the EVE programme. It's been republished on the blog of the Leadership Academy of Barcelona. You can find that I think quite quite easily and it was a very personal article I wanted to just talk about my own experiences during lockdown and some of the questions that I think are important moving forward and as I've worked and and for example with programs with Salesforce in the last uh, few weeks it isn't the answer that is the important thing in 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 many ways it's it's asking the right question and how you reframe the problem and get to the right question so I thought that, that might be of interest for some of you guys uh, and uh, also you know I've been in an advisory role for Enable which is a, an artificial intelligence powered leadership engine uh, based out of Boston uh, and those guys have just released a new version of their productivity tool which is um, uh, especially applicable for remote working so we've been working with those guys on, on those leadership recommendations and particularly for remote working and that's out there now which might be of interest also for some of you. And just finally, Aon uh, releasing a report in the next couple of weeks called Rising Resilience. And I was interviewed uh, for that report and, and that should be making the rounds in the next couple of weeks. And, and I'm looking forward also just to see who else that they spoke to for that, that report. I think there'll be a lot of insights in there in regarding how we design this post-pandemic or this this next normal and and as we de-escalate out of this very strange situation and what is the world that we're gonna we're gonna recreate together uh and in that in that space right and looking towards the the discussion here with steve and elise so steve i've known for a couple of years he's a facilities management expert working for iss uh you know originally from the uk but based in the netherlands and we've had a couple of conversations over the years and uh, in the, the episode here, you know, we're talking about how an integrative view is required for well-being to really move forward uh, and the things that he's doing within the space of facilities to try and bring these different stakeholders together. So I think there's a lot of interesting uh, insights there and, and learning from Steve's expertise. You know, he's been working in the field, coming from an originally health and fitness um, space in the early 90s and working with... Uh, organizations including McKinsey and then moving into facilities management so that was great to talk to Steve and I think that fits very well with my conversation with Elise uh, originally from Australia and working now for a few years in the Netherlands and with the startup company Healthy Workers which I thought was interesting contrast right so Steve and this large company and most of the episodes that we've had over the past few years on the podcast have been large companies and I think we need that bottom-up approach also in a lot of startups and a lot of the the work that they're going to bring and, and, and focus. 
Um, and, and also interested in the fact that Elise is coming from what we could call a lead user in terms of Australia and a lot of the very proactive and progressive views that they have in Australia regarding well-being and how that is now developing across uh, Europe. Uh, so we talked to Elise about different factors that smaller companies can bring and also this fact of customization. you know, just looking at different pain points for different users, let's say, within this period of lockdown and also the the blurred lines and I think much of well-being over the years has 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 struggled but also the opportunities there also in blurred lines in many different areas and in this case with Elise we talk a little bit about blurred lines between if you're going to be working from home a lot more and that will be your home office to what extent does your employer have responsibility or a say or influence or, or guidance in the space that you are working in from home, right? So I think it's a fascinating uh, discussion, uh, that part with, with Elise. And I think it's a perfect way to end this Q2 focus of well-being in the built environment. I'm very happy with these three episodes with four uh, great guests. Uh, and again, many thanks to Whitney, Stephanie, Steve and Elise. And looking forward to Q3. You know, got a few ideas in mind. Uh, but maybe mid late July by the time that we come back need to think if we can uh, get some vacation time in here as well um, in Barcelona or close by uh, I hope you can too um, wishing you a happy summer wherever you are and as ever keep well and thanks again for listening bye for now ciao welcome to the podcast Steve um, the office that we go back to will be very different from the office that we left behind. As a facilities expert, this must be in your thoughts. Can you tell us some of your current thinking and actions in, in that space? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for facilities, obviously, it's, um, we're going to be getting used to facilitating uh, a lot less people, but the attention to, to detail particularly around uh, the return from COVID, it's going to be uh, that much higher. So it's going to push push the borders. So uh, hygiene, spacing, communications. And I think one of the key things is that's, uh, that's coming from all this is that it's actually proving to be uh, a catalyst for this uh, getting out of the silos and connecting with, the, with, the, with other departments. Because to put this all together, it's not possible just for a facilities. It's not just possible for an HR department or an IT department. There has to be this unity to 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 work together to actually uh, to achieve this. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the kind of vision that you've held for a number of years, right? So if we think about what COVID is giving us, it's actually making people listen. Uh, and maybe for you guys in facilities, it's going to become less about different organizations just ticking the box with things that they know that they need to just do and, 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 and satisfy on a, on a basic kind of conditions level. But as you say, making it more of a conversation, more integrative, more kind of value added and, and bringing different pieces of the organization together. You think that's, that's accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think if we kind of flip this to the, to, to the more the well-being and the wellness side of it as well, I've, I've often said for years, one of the biggest holes, one of the areas where we haven't had much insight that I know 
and professionals in our industry know has has a lot of impact is the the what goes on outside of the work environment there's a lot of focus on you know workplace wellness and workplace health and how you need to put everything together to to support your employees but you know we haven't had a lot of insights in terms of what happens outside and particularly now with remote working there's a lot of studies a lot of data being collected now on what is the actual impact so i think we can take a lot of the learnings from this this COVID and put it to actual a lot of positive use uh, and that will not only help us to help people work remotely but will also help us to improve how we manage uh, people within a, a work organization you know giving the flexibility the autonomy to to choose where they work whether it's in an office environment or or outside yeah and, and in terms of facility services just for people who are not familiar with that model you know how exactly have you have you do you work traditionally? So it's ISS and you will manage facilities for another organization in terms of the physical space, the office layout, some, you know, uh, you know, cleaning services, eating services, all these different things. Can we just, can you just tell us a little bit about how it works exactly? Yeah, obviously it, um, um, it depends on the, on the, the service organization itself. Um, I mean, there, there was, uh, if we go back 10, 15, 20 years ago, the, you know, a lot of them were still, uh, single services, so maybe an organization managed a lot of stuff itself, but they needed a company to do the cleaning, uh, or they, they wanted to, to get a professional company to, or, uh, to manage their, uh, their catering services. But through the years, what you found is that uh, companies decided, well, you know, we want to focus on what we're good at, whether it's consulting or engineering, whatever. And so we're going to uh, get a, a company that can actually manage uh, a whole range. So more integrated uh, facility services approach. So then you, you get a, an organization that comes in and manages a reception, managing the hospitality, managing the technical services, the cleaning services, catering services, and even purchasing to, to a certain extent. So, uh, you know, that was a big step um, and it took a while to get off, but you're, you're, you're noticing now that it's, um, that it's growing in its demand and, uh, and the organization that, that I'm working for is particularly more focused now on, on the uh, key accounts and managing uh, the whole bunch of the services. And, and looking at the evolution of facilities, and, and it's one of, one of the things that you just picked up there um, a few moments ago, in terms of people working from home, I mean, is there going to be some element of facilities actually including people's homes as part of that consideration of the facility of work? What do you think in that space? I think there, um, um, it's, yeah, it's a difficult one. It's, it's the case of how far you go, and I, and I think time will tell um, over the next uh, two, three, or five years. But I think predominantly now it's going to be a focus on um, I think the, the, the role of facilities will be more facilitating uh, other organizations to deliver the services. So from an HR perspective, we will be involved in ensuring that the, the setup of uh, an individual's workspace uh, is conform uh, the, the European standards because there are actually uh, legal directives in terms of should uh, support people working uh, in a work environment. So think about chairs and, and, and desks and whatever. It's kind of what I've always talked about as being the, the sort of Pandora's box. It's one thing that everyone knew they should do, but hasn't necessarily put a lot of uh, focus on because, you know, it's a lot of costs involved. So I think that's, that's going to be a, a big focus of what, of what we're going to do. Also, the knowledge that we've learned about the uh, in facilities about the work environment and, and 
how detrimental that can be to your your health is something that we can actually package and, and push out to to help people in their work environment at home remote environments well, it's an interesting time if we think about the challenges of well-being and the blurring between you know home life and and working life it's gonna it's gonna merge that even more so whether it be you know people experts like yourself who would be giving tips and guidance on good practice for setting up a space at home that is favorable to you know health and productivity and also perhaps even vice versa right bringing some elements of what is working and what we know has worked in these past few months when we are working from home and trying to bring that back in to the office space right just bring a little bit more of our kind of humanity or individual personality into an office space that if it goes in the wrong direction can be you know, overly sterile and, and, and lacking in that in the elements that we need, right, to, to work well, yep. as you know, right? Um, and, and we looked at the well certification in the last episode. So just things like the, you know, the importance of, of light and, and, and nature and green elements and all of these different things within the office space. I mean, do you see, you know, obviously things are going to have to really shake out over the next few months. I mean, I don't know if it's more of a depressing office that we'll go back to in the short term um, with lots of perspects and lots of distance between people and then maybe we get to a nicer kind of vision in, in, the, in a more longer term but how do you see it, at least that return to the office in the next couple of months and some people are already in the office of course and it just means that some desks and some workstations are just vacant but how do you see those next three to six months especially as people get back to the office, what is that going to look like? I think, uh, well, there's, there's two parts of it. There's the physical part and there's the, the, the mental side. So on the physical side, yeah, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be differences. It's going to be, um, it's going to be almost like walking into, uh, it's going to be like walking into the office at seven o'clock in the morning when there's, there's a, the, the, not so many people around this, that you haven't got this hustle and bustle and, uh, and all the, uh, the energy going around. So for some people that's, that's going to be great. Uh, yeah. People complained about noise pollution in the past, so people that really need to sit and focus are probably going to love it, and it may be an escape from the people that are remote working that can go back but need need to remote work in an environment where there's there's kids around. So that that's going to that's going to be fine. Um, but it could also work um, negatively for people, and what I'm touching now on is more the uh, personality types, people that uh, need not just the contact but need that that energy buzzing around to, to actually fire them up and, and get them to work uh, uh, productively that's 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 going to be an issue so there's i think the important thing is not just about um letting people back in, into the office it's about thinking about how can we manage all the different physical and, and personal dimensions to, to to try and trigger people to to be as comfortable as, as they can and uh, on the mental side yeah the um it's it's quite interesting there's a lot of interesting studies going around now saying uh, or showing that different people are uh, uh excel better in, in in remote environments and then you could obviously turn that around to the office environment as well so people that tend to be in more analytical type functions or financial uh, financial based functions on that sort of thing where they have to really sit and, and, and think and be in a focused environment these people tend to thrive in in the remote working environment so those guys may not be necessarily conflicted when they come back into a, a quiet space but you know the people that need to collaborate or are used to collaborating and 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 being in in big teams um that's where the issues are going to be so the challenge is going to be how are you going to not just 
manage the, the space, but how are you actually going to manage people and their, their um, uh, the impact on reintegrating into that space? Yeah. No, there's some interesting points there, Steve. I mean, in terms of the mental side, and we touched on this in the last episode, the importance of trust. And of course, trust is important just to do a job, trust in your employer. And on a basic level, a lot of people are going to be questioning their employers in terms of do they trust them that the space is, is safe in, in the first place? But then as you touch on the types of work that we do, and you know, a lot of my own background is in terms of innovation and brainstorming, and, and of course, a lot of the trend in the last 10 years of the post-economic crisis was more densification within buildings and having even the whole co-working model of people just kind of rubbing shoulders and, and ideas bubbling up from that, right? And, and in a way, it's a shame that that might be pressurized there might be less of these accidental encounters and opportunities to do that type of work. But in the other sense, maybe we are, and even from your own comments here, we're going to become much more aware of the different personalities in the workplace, the different types of work that is required to make a a company generate value. And in the longer term, and hopefully not too long, longer term, we will cater for more of those specific needs and the office space won't just be kind of one size fits all, you know. Um, I, you know, looking at your background, I thought I had worked in well-being and, and the space for a while, but it's, not, it's nothing compared to you. And I don't, I don't want to make you feel um, old, but, you know, just in terms of your background and you've been working in health of business people and facilities since the early 90s, right? Um, and right. Uh, in terms of innovation, we often look at the we look at history to kind of try and uncover patterns to see what's going to map out in the future. I don't know if any of your experience in those areas since the nineties, and you worked a lot with organisations, for example, like McKinsey. Does that help you think about what's going to happen in this kind of post-COVID world? Or if not, then even just talking about some of the shifts that you've seen, and then looking ahead to the future would be would be interesting. Yeah, I had quite a lot of experience uh, indeed. And one thing I, in in the corporate environments that I've been in, involved with, I've, I've seen quite a lot of up and downturns. And um, I think one thing that's that's for certain is that we we will come out of of this and we will come out of it better. But then you uh, you need to use these times uh, if you have the resources to actually invest whether it's physically in, uh, in assets or, or, or time in, in, in designing and getting, uh, getting ahead to, to prepare for the, for the return, if we're talking about this, this particular situation. Uh, for the industry itself, um, yeah, there's, there's in the almost 30 years I've been involved on it, the, the level of research uh, and data that's being collected in, 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 a, in a whole array of areas is, is vast. It's still a relatively new industry. I mean, it went it went global in 2010, so it's 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 very new. And I think it only went mainstream in the, in the in the late 80s, early 90s. But one thing that's striking is that um, the things that I was doing with with the team in the early mid 90s and the things we were talking about are not that much different than what we're actually talking about now. So what you see is there's still a lot of a lot of talk, a lot of research. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of actually. Okay, let's go. Let's let's get out of our silos and let's actually put some uh, actions onto paper. 
and why that is, I, I don't really know. Uh, I think it's a typically difficult uh, area to focus on because it's so wide. Everyone has a different taste. Everyone has a different view. But um, my uh, focus in the last three or four years has really been on, 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 on alignment, trying to get people together and trying to use uh, the data and the, the learnings over the last 20, 30 years and actually you know, push forward and actually make some big change now. Yeah, and we, did, we had a similar conversation last year, right? We were looking at what's it really going to take to mainstream well-being, to make it more strategic, uh, to make it more kind of, you know, front and center within, within the business. And, and, you know, we talked about things like ownership and measurement and, and different barriers. Uh, what you see now and what the work I'm doing and, uh, and other colleagues in the industry are doing is focusing more on the, the leadership and management side. So if you give people autonomy, you give people the flexibility to choose uh, and you reduce as many stresses as you can, then that, that on its own will probably make two or three times more advances in terms of, uh, of, of health impact than, than the, the more mainstream lifestyle stuff, um, although very important. But I think the most, the, the most important part is put them all together uh, and make one sort of, and I think that's where the issue is, is, you know, the, the industry is very disjointed. You've got uh, one perspective, personal care, beauty and ageing is, is one of the, the, the biggest uh, uh, earnings in the, in the wellness industry, just over a billion dollars. And then you've got at the bottom of the scale, you've got workplace wellness. It's just a little bit disjointed. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, and, and even we've, we've both independently talked about the, the terminology that is used, right? And, you know, personally, I'm not the biggest fan of the word wellness because I think there is those associations of, of that billion-dollar industry. Um, and well-being, I just feel, is a bit more suited to, to the workplace and, and to professional life. Um, but maybe that, that's, that's another episode. Um, in ter- and, and, and you're right, but your, your point there in terms of essentially creating the right culture for people, right? And, and you know, I looked a bit at that in the Chief Wellbeing Officer book in terms of you know, well-being programs. They can look at some of these lifestyle factors, you know, weight reduction, smoking cessation, and they tend to alienate people. Whereas if you look at some of the leadership issues, some of the habits that the leaders are demonstrating and how you can empower people within the organization and just create more of a positive culture, then personally, I think that's the way uh, that, that we can move forward. Is that therefore the role that we could see emerging a lot more strongly post-COVID in terms of what a, a well-being manager or a well-being officer or a well-being director could be? And just having these different conversations, you're trying to pull people together. What, what do you think about that? Absolutely. I think that's, that's absolutely it. And that's kind of where I've been trying to work towards over the last year and a half. But it's, it's, it's gathering more pace now. I, I see the function as the, the well-being manager. I mean, of course, obviously, they need, they need to know their industry. They need to know where to, to get the information and stay top of, top of the information and be open for, for all the different aspects in it. But I think the, the core of the role for me is to, to be, um, as we call it, the, the, the spin in the web. The, the, the spider on the web and, and, and actually draws all these resources and the individuals together uh, and, and to try and get them to understand that every silo has a part of an ownership to the solution but also ownership to the problem and I, I think that's the, the, the way to go so in a nutshell you have to be a, 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 an all-rounder I think um, I think there's 
Uh, I, I wrote an article recently where um, if your if your passion is is, is yoga, then it, it quite rightly so. You, if, if you may think that you know if, if people just do these three or four things, then it's going to to solve the problem you know if your angle is health and nutrition if you do these four or five things it's going to solve your problem but we all know that that's right but you need to connect it with all the other thousands of things which makes it kind of complex but how do we turn the complex into into um, actionables that's going to be the the focus yeah no absolutely it reminds me a little bit of i just think about my own background in design and and in the early 90s when the design degree was conceived. It was about having someone who could lead teams, but be that generalist that actually could bring different specialists and different points of view together. And in a way, that's, that's coming to my head there. And also the work of, of a friend of mine, Kenneth Mickelson and the Neo Generalist, which was an episode also in the last couple of years in this podcast, and the importance of having these Neo Generalists in, in the world today to just bring together these different uh, different viewpoints, which if they're not brought together, they can be quite disparate. And, and but if you have someone that is capable of of seeing, you know, this this, this synthesizing points, then that actually can can add significant value to any one single strand. So I'm absolutely um, absolutely agree with with those points of view. Just a final question in terms of your kind of I, I guess your your your, your operating environment right now because I'm interested in this this aspect of where we are in the world and how that affects our attitudes to well-being so you are uh, an Englishman who's been living in the Netherlands for 20 years and I don't know if I'm mistaken or not I mean I, I haven't spent a great deal of time in the Netherlands maybe I'm just biased by you know being a cyclist and just seeing a lot of bicycles anytime I go there um, but how does being based in the Netherlands help or, or indeed hinder your kind of uh, approach to well-being. You think that's a kind of a, a country and an environment that has positive attitudes to to well-being in terms of balance within the workplace and how people live their lives. Have you got any any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's definitely a very open uh, um, a country. So in that respect, it's um, uh, and also very, quite a, a very um, active country. I mean, we're we're probably per population got the, the most bikes. I think that I think. The, the average is uh, is two or three bikes per person in the Netherlands, so they're very active. So that's that that makes that whole concept of, of well-being and and in the context of living outside and and connection with the family, they're very social as a, as a country. That that's very uh, positive form in terms of well-being. Um, when I first came to the Netherlands, there was a downside to it because of that. It was. Um, was very difficult to to try and get the idea of, of well-being as a concept within an organisation. The uh, the fitness uh, scene when I moved here 20 years ago was 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 very low key, predominantly because people were very outdoors. They, they, it was a little bit like uh, in the UK, you know, when we were uh, in the UK when when people were working in more manual type labour, there was no need for for actual uh, uh, exercise uh, gyms and that sort of stuff. You didn't need it. So, so there's two sides to it. In terms of the management of, of COVID and how we're going about that, um, the Dutch are, are quite open but uh, cynical, and then they like to you know take their own approach you know this is what the research saying so you know let's let's side for that and, and and this is the direction we're going so that's that, i like that that's quite positive yeah that's great so steve look many thanks for your time today looking forward to keeping in touch and and seeing the work that you're doing 
over the next few months as, as we get out of this, this crisis and we start to shape the, the future that, that we both want to see. So many thanks today. Thanks, Steve. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks. Hi, Elise. Uh, you're an Australian living in the Netherlands. Can you tell us a little bit about how the culture of these two countries has shaped your work these past years? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's really, really different culture, which I definitely wasn't expecting. Um, starting in Australia, I really started my career in occupational health and safety. And then that sort of evolved from working as a consultant really on physical risks and things like this into the mental health space, because it really is an emerging issue there. It's, it's an issue that's been growing for the last decade uh, and there needs to be resources put into it. So I found myself uh, luckily working in some government roles in policy roles focused on psychological safety. There was a $50 million program in Australia, in Victoria, focused on improving mental health in the workplace. Uh, and I was lucky enough to work on that project. You know, so there's a lot of resources and focus on this space. And I think the maturity scale is quite strong in Australia. And then I came to the Netherlands. Um, I actually met my husband or now husband in Australia. He was backpacking and uh, thought, okay, let's go and have an adventure. Uh, let's go to the Netherlands. I thought, okay, great. This country is going to be amazing. You know, they're super liberal, super forward thinking. Of course, they're going to really be up there with well-being. It shouldn't be too much of a problem to find, find a role. And then I got here and realised there's actually um, not that many sort of well-being manager roles here or well-being focus roles here. It's, it's really a new space and, and you see them popping up, but it's sort of the first time anybody's uh, starting in the company or, or, or considering this. So they were a little bit behind, which I was, I was quite surprised at. Um, so I was looking around for a role, trying to sort of find something that fit and something that was uh, similar to what I was doing in Australia. Um, and obviously not being able to speak the language, I, I couldn't join the government. So I, uh, I found this tech startup called Healthy Workers and I looked at their website and had a look at what they were doing. They were really focused on trying to improve um, employee well-being. And I thought, okay, well, this is, this is on the right track. And they were really focused on sort of the physical environment. So uh, they sort of bloomed from um, putting plants in the office to sort of improve with biophilia. And uh, they sort of needed someone to take them to the next step there and understand more about where wellbeing comes from in the office. So I reached out to the CEO and we had a bit of a meeting and, and had a discussion of what my skills were and what I could potentially bring to the company and said, you know, so is this something we want to do? And they said yes. And, and it's been a really interesting space. You can just see how not only the companies evolved, but you sort of grow this network with people and the limited people in, in this wellbeing space in the Netherlands and, and you can feed off each other and really start these circles. And it's, it's a really growing culture here. I can see it. It's coming. It's the next big thing in the Netherlands. So really happy to be part of it. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And, and, and I think there's two kind of axes or, or variables there. I mean, in terms of, and I know the grass is always greener, but I've always looked at Australia as a very forward thinking country in terms, and in no place is perfect, but in terms of their approach to life and work and even, and, and climate helps, of course, but, you know, some friends from Scotland went to live in Australia and just the participation in sport is, is, is very high. And I knew a lot of the well-being 
work was coming from there. And similarly, actually, with the Netherlands, you know, I always looked at the Netherlands within Europe as a kind of Australia of Europe in a way, right, in terms of just being a little bit ahead. So it's interesting from your own perspective, you know, coming from Australia, arriving in the Netherlands and realizing actually they've got a bit, a bit to go. The, the, the small company space, because on this podcast, most of the people that we've talked to have been from large uh, companies, and we absolutely need that top-down approach for well-being to be more mainstreamed. But we also need the startup scene to really get on board. And I think, as you say, there's a real wave coming of startup companies who are looking at very interesting things, and it could be tech-driven, or it could just be you know looking at different aspects of well-being uh, and, and we need that as well from that kind of bottom-up side to, to change the culture. Some of those comments there as well talk to us about different people's needs. Uh, and this is one of the, the areas that we covered with uh, Steve Longhorn was looking at customizing the workspace. And, you know, maybe one of the effects of COVID-19 will be recognizing that one size fits all isn't going to cut it anymore, both in terms of the physical workspace and also in terms of the structure uh, of work that we expect people to to work under and, and live within. Um, do you have any reflections or even examples of work within that that space of customizing the workspace for different organizations or, or clients in your case in terms of you know making that fit for purpose and making these places more well? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a really topical issue and something I'm really interested in right now because um, so we've just released a new product called Anywhere uh, and it takes, um, you know, people's ratings of the current situation and the things that are causing stress either in their home or in their person or because of their company um, and asks what things they think are going well. So the same sort of factors on both sides and the results are actually coming out and they're, they're quite mirrored to some of the other results that I'm finding across other surveys that are being conducted where 50% of the people, or it's, it's about 50-50, I think it's 47, something like that, but 50-50 of the people want to continue working from home and 50% of the people want to go back to work. And when you ask them why and you break it down, we're finding that it's the exact same factors in the positive and the negative why people want to go back or why they want to stay. So, for example, you know, you'll say, okay, why do you want to go back to work? It's because... I love my commute. And you say, okay, why don't you want to go back to work? It's because I don't want to go on my commute. So you've got literally a mirror image and it just shows that how these different things can be interpreted um, by the individual and how customization is so needed for individuals at different stages of their life in different, um, you know, if they've got kids and things like this, it's, we have to be custom. The needs are just, uh, the way we're discovering these needs are so, so different. I think, uh, a really interesting thing that's come out of this um, for us, we're noticing, is uh, we're looking at burnout and, and focusing on on burnout rates and who is at risk of burnout. And we found the results, of the, sorry, the research has shown one in six people between 25 and 35 in the Netherlands will suffer from a burnout, which is enormous. And so this cohort we found are also the ones that are most likely uh, a little bit below 25 as well to be living with housemates, for example. And during this time where we're working from home, if you're working with housemates, this group or this cohort could potentially be uh, working in their bedrooms, sitting in bed working right now, uh, which puts them at massive, not just physical risks, but mental health risks. Imagine having your workplace sitting in your bed, in your bedroom and being switched on all the time, 
seeing your laptop and being reminded of that email you need to send, potentially not being in the best lighting situation, ergonomic situation. I mean, that's a very extreme case, but it just shows that needs for people are so diverse. And the customization definitely has to come. Uh, it's about getting to the root of the issues and finding out where people's issues are and what customizations are needed and then being adaptable and, and in your approach to fulfill those needs. Yeah, I mean, those specific pain points are fascinating, right? I mean, we were looking at some similar factors uh, in the last few months and, and it isn't just, you know, you, you, you can look at the, the typical kind of uh, profiles of of people with kids and homeschooling duties and all these different things. But as you say, it could be, you know, younger workers with a flatmate, right? And, and in kind of more cramped living quarters, let's say, that are maybe not used to, you know, they have an apartment just to basically sleep at night, right? And at that time in their life, they're mostly just out and about in the world. And then all of a sudden, they're in heavy quarantine in different countries around the world. And actually reminds me of an article that popped up on Wired, um, just a few months ago, which was titled "How to Not Completely Hate the People That You're Living With," right? And giving all this, all this good advice about, you know, hopefully those strong emotions aren't for uh, people's families or, or or anyone, right? We don't want those kind of uh, those negative yeah. emotions, but you can actually empathise with a lot of people who are in that in that situation. That diversity is absolutely something that employers are going to have to take into account, uh, as you say. And now we're getting these blurred lines like never before uh, between non-working life and, and working life. And even if we look at cases, well-publicized cases in the last month or two of companies like Twitter, Facebook, Google that are saying to their employees, look, you can, you can work from home for as long as you want, right? As long as you feel that that is the best option for you. And, and, and I'm sure that many people will run back to the office the first chance that they get, right? But we're going to see much more of that flexibility, I, I think, in the longer term. And even some policies are going to change whereby companies are saying, okay, you can expense some of your home furniture and you can make that, you know, your kind of office at home and, and all the rest of it, right? So the home office theme is really going to move forward. And it's interesting as well, because some of your previous comments, you're talking about employers had this question maybe several years ago, is mental health our space or our responsibility? And now the question might be for employers, is people's homes and the design of people's homes, is that our space or our responsibility? So what do you think about that? What, how involved should employers be in people's homes if they're going to be working much more from home yeah this is this is something i'm really looking forward to i think because it's it's a big challenge um you know we when we as, a, as an employer you know you are responsible for the people in your space uh, i know i'm not sure about legislation here specifically but um i know in victoria or in australia you have to provide a safe working space you have to provide not only a physically safe space, but a mentally safe space in your office. Um, and that's through systems, policies, and the physical, actual space. And now that people are working from home, what are the lines going to be? You know, are we going to expect employers that, uh, you know, employees, if they want to work from home, now an employer has to inspect their home and say, okay, well, we could improve your ergonomics, your lighting. Actually, you don't have a, a good space to work. I'm not going to allow you to work here because you're at risk of mental health uh, or mental ill health, sorry. You know, that that's a real possibility. Uh, and I know that previously, if you had somebody who 
was working from home or working remotely, you know, it's, it's, you do need to inspect that space that they are working to ensure that it is safe. Uh, but now it's, it's going to be everybody. And, and what makes a safe space and what right do you have? You know, are you going to start telling your employees they need to paint their walls blue because it's the right color <laughs> or productivity or something like this. Um, so it's, it's going to be very interesting to see where those lines fall and where the policies uh, are written and how high up they are written. You know, is this going to be legislatively bound? Is it currently? I mean, we're in a completely changing social landscape. So we, we definitely need to adapt and, and consider what is the right or where is that line? Uh, personally, I think uh, it is important to ensure that your employees have a safe working space at home. And I think one of the biggest issues we'll be facing now is that everybody has just been given this freedom to work from home when, you know, it's the dream. Imagine how many times you've looked up jobs I can do at home and now you can do every job at home nearly. Um, and so we're asking our employees, uh, do you want to come back to the office or are you comfortable working from home? And people are almost too afraid to be honest and say it can be a bit difficult working from home because they don't want that new privilege to be taken away. And I think one of the big steps we're going to have to take is really having open conversations with it in mind that, look, this is the future and we're not going to take things away from you. You know, this is a new way of working, but we need to find the most healthy and appropriate way for you to work in your new space. So where are the difficulties? Where are the pain points? What are the things that we could change in your new working environment to make it healthier? And at the end of the day, some people's homes are just not the most suitable place to work. And if that's the case, once we do start returning to work, you know, an employer may have to draw the line and say, look, no, this is not the best place for you to work. Until you are in a, a more appropriate home situation that you want to turn into an office, we think it's best you work from the office. It's yeah. uh, quite a controversial conversation, I think, but I think being open-minded and having really open conversations is going to be so important right now for how we move forward. Elise, many thanks for your time today and, and wishing you the best going forward. Thank you. Thank you very much.